This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made For This podcast. You guys will love the Find Your People study guide that has streaming video and just goes even deeper into the scripture and the topics that Jenny talks about in the book. The Find Your People Bible study is available now at all retailers. Today on May for This, we're going to be looking at Philippians 3, verses 17 through 20. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, let's hear from Jenny. We're going to talk about finding and keeping great people in our lives, and also being able to spot unhealthy people. And I want to start by just saying we're all the unhealthy people to some extent. You are never going to find the perfect people to do life with, the perfect people to do community with. You will always be doing community and life with sinners. And you are chief among them, and I am chief among them. And so we will approach this with a lot of humility. At the same time, what you see throughout Scripture is that we are to use discernment and intention in who we choose to do life with. And by that, I just mean the deepest parts of life. It was a given that we are supposed to make disciples who make disciples. When Jesus is leaving the earth, he's going back to his father. He's died. He's risen again. And his last words are, make disciples, go into all the earth and make disciples. So we're supposed to go into the world and we're supposed to love all kinds of people. We're supposed to love those that cannot love us back. We're supposed to love those that have nothing to give us. In fact, that's the very people that Jesus spent some of his most intentional time with. But God also knew that we were built to live as part of a body, to have encouragement, to have those that are pushing us on, that are helping us finish our races and press on. So verse 20 talked about our citizenship is in heaven. And so we are headed toward our home and we've got to have those that will remind us of that and keep us following God. So let me just start with a given that we are to love those that are not like us and those that are not perfectly healthy. In fact, that is one of the greatest callings of our lives. So what I'm talking about in this episode is actually how to pick your circle, those that are very closest to you. And in my opinion, and this is an opinion, that circle probably can't be a lot bigger than three to four people. There's just not margin in the busy lives we lead to have a group of 20. Those are more like acquaintances. Those are probably more like who you'd have to a big birthday party. But but your people that are going to keep tabs on you, that are going to know what's going on day in and day out in your life, that you're going to call and pick up the phone and tell about a fight you just had with your husband or a difficulty that you just had at work or a fear or insecurity or a sin that you're consistently dealing with. Those are the people I'm talking about. That group probably can't be a lot more than three to four people. So when I'm talking about pick your people, find your people, that's what we're going to talk about today. And Paul knows that there's a difference. When we look out and we're looking for those people, there are going to be people that are following God that we want to imitate, that we want to run after because they're following God and we want to be more like them. And then there's going to be people that, and I love I love how descriptive he is. He says that their God is their belly and their glory and their shame. And gosh, I could, you know. Hopefully, I I resemble more of the first person, but I probably often resemble the second person too. So we're going to approach this with a lot of grace. We know that this is attention for all of us. Let me say this. You're going to be 
exactly as close as you are vulnerable enough to share. Like you have to be the one that goes first. I hate saying that because, you know, hopefully you're listening to this with a whole group of people and you all can go first, but likely you're listening to this and you're thinking, I've got to go first. You have to go first. You have to go first. You have to gather some people and be like, guys, I need community in my life. I cannot do it alone anymore. And I'm going to be brave here. And I'm going to tell you some things about myself. It's the beginning of great healthy community. And usually what happens with healthy people is they'll nod and then they'll tell you, okay, here's what I'm struggling with. It's scary. It's vulnerable, but it is worth it. Now, healthy friendships, they are going to have conflict. I want to be so clear about that. You cannot write somebody off because it's difficult. In fact, I tell my kids, if you have not had conflict with somebody, you're probably not good friends yet. That is going to be part of it. So we can't write people off at the same time. Paul wasn't afraid. Like earlier in the chapter, in chapter three, he says, look out for evildoers. He's he's not afraid to say there are unhealthy people and you need to guard yourself from them. And they are in it for your destruction. And their gods are their belly, like verse 19 says. And their glory is in their shame. And I think about this, that they are just so comfortable with their sin. Like they don't need to change anything. They don't want to be messed with. If that's the people you're running with, I can promise you, you are going to get complacent fast because our flesh loves to not be bothered about its sin. So if you have friends that glory in their shame, that just, hey, it's okay, live and let live, (laughs) that is not going to produce growth in you. If our goal is to become more and more like Christ as we age, which we all know the people that become less and less like Christ as they age, you know, we don't want to be the (laughs) the bitter old women that are cranky and angry at the world. You know, we we typically go one of two directions as we age. And so if we want to be those that that get more holy, that get less selfish, that love the mission of God even more and more, the older we get, we've got to have people around us that do not glory in their sin, that they hate it, that they're fighting it, and we would fight it together. If you want to dive deeper, then we know that you guys will love the Find Your People study guide that has streaming video and just goes even deeper into the scripture and the topics that Jenny talks about in the book. What we always recommend is that you start with the book, do the book club kit with us, go along that journey through the book, and then when you're done with the book club, do the Bible study. It's actually two different resources, but they go together, and it really is a whole experience that your group can do, you can do individually that can help you build deep community in a really, really lonely world. The Find Your People Bible Study is available now at all retailers. I believe we are constituted relationally. We are, our core reality is that we are relational beings because we've been created in the image of the relational God, Father, Son, Spirit. And we bear that, that DNA, as it were, that image in, in ourselves. So I think the quality of our life depends on the quality of our relationships. We have families that are supposed to help us, prepare us for relating well. And when we grow up in a healthy family, let's just talk about it just kind of from an emotional, mental perspective. I think there are some very basic key qualities for that. One is that I'm, I'm a receptive person rather than reactive. If I'm constantly or primarily reactive, it's going to be hard to be in in uh, healthy relationships. Another thing is I think a healthy person is more resilient than rigid. In other words, they know how to bounce back. They know how to not get pushed into a corner where they are 
kind of rigidly and dogmatically evaluating everything. I think a healthy person is aware, very mindful, versus unaware, emotionally clueless. I think a healthy person is responsible for their own life. They don't blame. They don't claim a victim status. They, they take responsibility for themselves. I think they're differentiated, not enmeshed. I think they're empathetic. I think they're fairly strong instead of fragile. They're stable. They're realistic and not overly idealistic. They don't have expectations that are unattainable. And I think one other really healthy thing is that a healthy person has a healthy imagination. They're able to see life rather than growing stale. They see life in wonderful ways. So those are some just what I feel are some mental or emotional healthy qualities to have. And then if we add the spiritual on top of that, I think we've got to start with God is for me. There's a lot of gratitude. There's contentment. There's character. There's virtuous character with the fruits of the Spirit. We know how to trust. We know how to hope. We know how to be humble. We know how to desire. We know how to love well. So these are just things that I think make up a healthy leader and a health, just a healthy person. And so then it, it begs the question of, oh no, I, I've picked up without meaning to. I, I grew up in, if, if someone's thinking to themselves, I grew up in an unhealthy family where I picked up unhealthy patterns. Can I change? Yes. That's the good news. Yes. <laughs> the challenging news is that change is harder than we want and it takes longer than we want. But the mm. good news is that we can change. And uh, what we're changing is, by God's grace, we're not changing just our actions, but we're changing at a fundamental level our capacity to trust well and who we trust. Because if we can trust God well, then we, then we can believe and act on what he has to say. Then it gets to our deepest core of our being. So that, that can change. But our deepest change has to happen relationally. It has to happen by being in a relationship. Mm. That's, that's why the greatest gift I can give someone is my transformed and transforming presence, because they're going to absorb who I am, and it's going to make a difference deep within their soul. So yes, I can change. We change by being in relationship with our Lord, and His, his presence, His virtue, His character, His compassion are absorbed by the Spirit into our lives, so we, we make them our own. So it's good news that we can change. That's what I meant by a healthy person takes responsibility. They don't claim the victim and just say, well, that's who I am. It's too bad. And I'll be that way the rest of my life. So I know there's somebody listening right now that's thinking, okay, I'm in. I want to change. I My heart's racing when you're saying that. I don't want to be a victim anymore. But what is that choice? What does that look like for them today practically? Well, one of the practical things is if my soul is absorbing the presence of someone, I ought to be in the presence of someone whose you know, who's character and presence I want as mine. Mm. And that's why solitude and silence, contemplative reading and prayer have had such a long history in the church is because we dedicate and give ourselves over to spending time alone with the Lord in quietness before the Lord. So that we, we read some from Scripture, and we hear His voice there, and what is His voice to me? So I spend time with the Lord, 
I have to spend time with others, and I think that's why the New Testament makes a big deal of the the new family, the family of God, and kind of hanging out with people who are ahead of me in the journey, so that they can help me and I can I can learn from them as to how to be a more healthy, holy person. So I think solitude and silence with the Lord, community is very important. I certainly think becoming more self-aware and learning what's cooking in me is very, very important. I think David Benner says, what we don't own will wind up owning us. And so the more I know about me, kind of the influence of my family, what hooks me, what gets me going, and then what's my game plan in light of that, the, the, so self-awareness is a critical factor when it comes to change. We would love to think that relationships were as simple as like a few steps to figure out or to understand, but you know, I I know better. Like we've done a ton of work and in, in on our past and our stories and our family history, and my husband and I have been in counseling and and other types of environments where we've been safe to really work through who we are and where that's come from. And you're right. Like it is not ever simple. We're always conflicting or having a conversation with someone who is coming from an array of experiences and sources that we don't know, that we yeah. we don't have that. We're, we don't always have access to that. One of the best things that, that we've found is telling our stories with people that are safe and that we want to do deeper community with doing that very quickly because it gives you such a context to why they react the way they react. So what are some other ways you found to kind of dig, dig beneath the surface? Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I was just going to mention that you said someone saying, how do I do all this? And I mentioned time with the Lord, time with others. And when you're with others, you're exactly right. Tell your story and tell it repeatedly. To different people who who love you and uh, hear you, therapeutically, that's by far the greatest value in helping others move forward to integrate their lives is simply telling their story to someone who cares. And I think uh, if if you can find people to tell your story uh, who will listen, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. I think uh, a practical way uh, of maybe organizing that is through a life map where I kind of like I start as far back as I can remember pre-kindergarten have a page of paper and I just write down things that I remember no particular order necessarily just things that I remember and it may be strange to me is why in the world do I remember that well as you write some things down draw a line across and then underneath the memory or the event write write down what emotion did you feel back then and um, after you get a few pages written like that, maybe a page for pre-kindergarten, one page for kindergarten, one page for first grade, etc. After you get a few pages, at the very bottom, you can go back and start figuring out what did I start saying to myself as to how I need to live? What was my mm. interpretation? Let me give you a simple example. When I was 10, my puppy was run over right in front of me. I was playing with some buddies in the front yard puppy ran to the street, was run over. That's an event. I can still remember it. Now, what emotion did I have? I was obviously very sad. I was crying. I was just torn up because I love my puppy. I was also mad because the person who ran over him stopped and started chewing me out for letting my puppy get in the road. And that was just totally unreasonable. I, I didn't. I was just very upset. Well, if I get a lot of puppy stories, so to speak, where there's a lot of losses in life and a lot of sad emotions, 
that uh, interpretation, that bottom that I'm what I'm going to write on the bottom of the page, it might look something like this. I have to be careful of how close I get to anything I love because it could really hurt. The interesting thing is we live from our scripts. That's why people sabotage themselves. People who know a lot better, they sabotage because they have an unknown script that they're living by. Maybe a script of, I'm a shameful person. I am unworthy. And if that's their script, you're going to wind up living an unworthy, shameful life. You live into your scripts. I think one of the reasons that the book of Genesis gives so much coverage to Joseph is because there's a man who developed a script in life that was unbelievable. I'm sure he didn't get there easily, but he changed his script. He changed it to this. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. When I have a script like that that's guiding how I live, that's going to be a different life than a life of vengeance towards his brothers or whatever. So we live, we're living out of our scripts. And our scripts are coming from family of origin, our attachment pattern, our personality style, experiences that we've lived, maybe physical factors, losses that we've had, good things that have gone on in life. They're all contributing to the script. So am I aware of my scripts? If I am, then I have a chance to say, Lord, what needs to change here? And I think that's the good news of the gospel. The mega story is my little story is held in a big story that says that God is for me and is out for my good in some way, shape, or form. So you have some questions that you think we should ask. So I want to mention some of these, and then you can talk about them. One of them is, how are you experiencing me? Another one is, how do you see me exaggerating my gifts or underselling my gifts? And another one is, where are you seeing me take risks for the sake of Christ? You're basically, I think what you're saying in all this is, is you have to invite people into these sacred spaces. That's what we mean with the broad thing of living in community. Living in community invites others into my, into my world, into my life. For example, exaggeration and diminishment. I think that's the nature of what sin and our own wounds do to us. Sin, what I'm culpable for, wounds, what uh, I'm not culpable for, someone's hurt me by their sinning. Those wounds and sins tend to exaggerate or diminish something good. Our God creates what's good and blesses us with good gifts. And sin and wounds can exaggerate or diminish. For example, a person who's a very peaceful person, they just know how to bring reconciliation. Wonderful gift. We love people like that. Everyone feels understood by them and appreciated by them. But think of that gift getting exaggerated. Now it's kind of peace at any price. And that person loses their own soul, so to speak. They forget, they, they lose track of who they are because they've been so exaggeratedly taking care of everyone else. Good gift, exaggeration or diminishment. And I need others to help me. Where does it feel exaggerated? Where does it feel diminished? I need others to help me because I oftentimes can't see that for myself. So yes, exaggeration or diminishment, a, a, a big deal. Okay, another one is, where are you seeing me take risks for the sake of Christ? Taking risks for the sake of Christ simply means, I think, or, or at least includes, that I am open and surrendered 
to what I feel God is calling me to do. And I'm living that vision as best I know how for my life. And that can take great courage. I think I need others to help clarify that with me. I know for for me, just when I decided to leave a comfortable place where I was teaching, hey, I was living on the family farm, and I felt like I want to go to seminary and get further training. I ran that by some people saying, does that make sense to you? This is what I'm feeling. Does that make sense? And uh, I had people help me and give me a response of saying, yeah, that looks like a courageous thing for you to do. So I think courage is stepping out in the face of um, danger. It's not being free from all of our fears, but it's stepping out in the midst of our fears to do what we know is right. I think that's an important thing for people to help me with. I need help. I need encouragement to take steps like that. Mm. So you talk a lot about shame and fear and guilt. And speaking of how we experience each other, this is definitely a barrier to deep community. I mean, this this is a roadblock, you know, and, and I think we hide and then other people are hiding too. So what does it look like to work through these and to build a different story that that are not bound by these things? Yes, I think, uh, as I understand it, shame, fear, and guilt showed up in Genesis 3. Definition, I would say, or the experience of shame is a feeling of, I am not worthy. There is something defective with me. Something is fundamentally wrong with me. Before I've even done anything, something's wrong with me. Our first response to shame was to put on an image, so to speak. There were fig leaves sown. Because we don't want people, if we feel fundamentally defective, I don't want someone to see that. And I think the good news of the gospel is pictured in Luke 15, where the son, the younger son, comes to himself and he says, I am going to go tell my father I'm no longer worthy. He felt shame, but he was vulnerable enough to come home and really vulnerable Mm. when he went into a party and allowed himself to be celebrated by others. So shame is a very toxic thing, and we need others to celebrate who we are. And we have to be vulnerable enough to put ourselves out there to be celebrated, to be loved, to be appreciated, to feel like we belong. And to the extent that we don't, and shame dominates our thinking like, I am unworthy, when that is dominating our, our thinking, when that's part of our script, We're going to put on the image of financial success or religious success or family success. We're going to put on an image and have people kind of interacting with that image rather than who we really are. And the trouble with that, the trouble with that is it leaves us feeling lonely because we're constituted relational beings. If we we could get rid of our relational character, then we might survive okay with that. But we can't because we're relational. We long to connect deeply and fully. Shame, Shame makes us put on an image so that we don't connect in that way. Same with fear. Fear in Genesis 3 is we hid and we do a lot of hiding. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review so that other people can find the show too. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Made for This podcast. Podcast.